Our first lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second text is from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the fifth chapter, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves God's love for us in that while we were sinners... Christ died for us. Much more surely, therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open uh, this word afresh to us this day. May it seep into our hearts in such a way that this moment of worship would transform us would change us by your grace and your spirit, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I recently had a conversation with a new friend about an experience he had that changed the trajectory of his life. Uh, Several years ago, he was experiencing what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. That's a Concept I, I think some of us have heard of before. Uh, this new friend was in a season where his mental and spiritual and emotional well-being were not in a good place. He felt disconnected from God. Some of the most important relationships in his life were strained, and he felt unfulfilled professionally. His work, his professional work, took him on the road quite often, and during 
this dark season, he found himself waking up a little bit earlier than usual on one particular business trip. He got dressed and headed down to the hotel lobby for a cup of coffee. There were a handful of tables uh, in the lobby, and there was one table that had one person sitting at it, a woman that looked to be about his age. It was a little awkward because as he came close to the lobby, she just stared at him. She wouldn't take her eyes off of him. They exchanged hellos, and after he grabbed his coffee and sat down, she actually introduced herself. She said, my name is Susan, and I usually don't start conversations like this, but for the past month, I've been having the same dream. He thought, okay, where is this going? (laughs) She went on to say that she was a Christian and that she had this sense that she was meant to share the content of this recurring dream that she kept having, that she was supposed to, to share that dream with a particular person, but she didn't know who it was. She had this deep sense that someone needed to hear about this dream. She just didn't know who that person was, who needed to hear it. She said to my friend, I've had the same dream almost every night for the last couple of months, and I had that dream last night. And I woke up this morning, and and candidly, I'm tired of having this same dream over and over. And so I I sort of had a a wrestling match with God in, in a prayer, and I said, God, I, I need to know who it is that needs to hear the content of this dream. And I asked God, I said, God, let this be the last night that I've had this dream. And let the first person I see at morning coffee be the person I tell it to. And she looked at my friend and said, that's you. <laughs> He's typically skeptical about such interactions, as many of us perhaps might be. But he found himself open to what the woman had to say. And so he invited her to tell him about her dream. She said, it's always the same. There is a man and he has chains wrapped around his hands and his arms and his torso and his legs and his feet. And affixed to each chain is a weight that cannot be lifted by any person or group of people. And I come upon him where he has obviously given up trying to free himself. He's prostrate on the ground and his body language tells me that he is done trying. All of a sudden in the dream, this being shows up. It's sort of part woman, part angel. I can't really describe it. And she moves toward the man as he's lying on the ground and and she takes... uh, one of the chains in her hand and she says my name is grace and I've I've come to set you free and and she breaks the chain with her bare hands and then she does the same thing she repeats herself that I've come to set you free and with each chain she repeats that same line I've come to set you free when all the chains were, were off of his body she lifts the man to his feet And she says, God's grace is enough for you. God's grace is enough for you. And then I wake up. Well, my new friend was absolutely overcome with emotion. He had no doubt that this message was for him. 
that in this mysterious way, God had shown up in the lobby of this hotel over a cup of coffee with this stranger who shared her dream. But in some way, he knew that God had orchestrated that moment and that God was speaking directly to him. He said, from that day on, no matter what I face or struggle with, I've held on to that promise that God's grace was and is and will always be enough. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that. When, when, when God shows up at the exact right time, maybe it's at a crossroad moment, Maybe it was a moment of desperation. Maybe it was in a moment of illness. Maybe it was a moment of, of grief, a moment where you were saying goodbye to a loved one. Maybe a moment where you were holding your child or grandchild for the very first time, where you knew deep down that this was no ordinary moment, that God had shown up in a powerful and mighty way. As we wrap up this Lenten sermon series entitled An Acceptable Time, we're actually returning to the theme of time. We're coming full circle, uh, and we're going to explore this concept of time, this notion of acceptable time, uh, under the text of Romans 5, 6, which reads like this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The Apostle Paul actually uses this phrase in some form or fashion, this idea of acceptable time or the right time, quite often in his writings. The letters that he wrote in antiquity to the first century church, for example, in his Corinthians correspondence, he writes, for the Lord says, at an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on the day of salvation I have helped you. Look, now is the right time. Now is the day of salvation. In Galatians 4.4, and we hear this text read every Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day, Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, when the right time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. For today, friends, I, I want to focus on one specific question that I think is born out of the experiences that you may have had where you've known that God has shown up at the exact right time, born out of this text and what it means to experience God or God's presence or God's power or God's activity at the right time. And, and here's the question I want to pose. In the life of the Christian, in the life of the Christian community, how do we know it's the right time? Like, like how do you know it's God that's showing up? How do you know it's, it's the right time? In other words, what kind of time is worthy of being called the right time. Think of the story I just shared a moment ago or an experience you have had. What are the qualities and the characteristics of that encounter that, that prompted my friend or prompts you with confidence to label that time as the right time, as a time when God showed up? As we dig deep into that question, uh, to understand what Paul was getting at with his repetitive use of the concept of the right time or the acceptable time or the fullness of time or the favorable time, we do well to reflect on something that I think some of you already are aware of. 
And that is that the ancient Greeks, the Greco-Roman world, the Hellenistic worldview, had two distinct uh, understandings or conceptions of time. They understood time in two very different ways. In the Hellenistic worldview, there was Kronos time and there was Kairos time. Kronos time and Kairos time. Kronos time is quantitative. It's quantifiable. It's impartial. It's neutral. It refers uh, to the, the linear and sequential nature of time, where time is divided into seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years. Aristotle described chronos time as, as the measure of change in regard to what comes before and what comes after. Chronos time is a sequence of events that can be measured and evaluated. But the Greeks also had a deeper sense of time, and they called it kairos. And kairos time is not quantitative time. Kairos time is qualitative time. It's subjective, it's existential, it's experiential. It refers to a moment of opportunity or a critical moment where something significant or decisive can happen or does happen. Kairos time comes from Greek mythology. Kairos, it was believed, was the son of Zeus, the embodiment of opportunity. He was depicted, interestingly, as a young man with wings on his feet, symbolizing how fleeting opportunities come and go, how they can be in time. Now, the Greeks had this sense that there was a distinction between Kronos and Kairos, and Paul lived into that in his writings. The difference between Kronos and Kairos is essential in understanding what Paul is trying to say in this particular text and in general when he talks about an acceptable time or the right time. See, Kronos time is a linear and neutral concept of time. Kairos time is a dynamic, subjective, and existential concept of time. To, simply, to put it simply, Kronos is concerned with measurement of time, and Kairos is concerned with the substance or meaning of time. They're two very different things. And so when Paul writes in this particular text in Romans 5, 6, he doesn't use the word chronos, he uses the word kairos, at the right time. And he talks about what God had done in and as the person of Jesus Christ. So follow me here. We human beings, right, we live on the linear plane. We, we live in, in chronos time. That's the way the world was established. That's the way the world works. But God is not bound by chronos time. God is outside of that time. We say that God is eternal. I know this is sort of theology 101, but God existed before the creation of our star, which is the essential element along with our planet for how we measure time. God exists eternally before time. Before we even have a concept of chronos time, where the sun and the, and the earth, we, we measure it based on their relationship, right? And that's why the writer of Psalm 94 uh, says that for a thousand years are in your sight are like yesterday when it's past. That's why 2 Peter 3.8 says, but do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. For Paul... He sees the incarnation of God in and as the person of Jesus Christ as a kairos moment, in a moment where God breaks into the linear, breaks into the chronos, 
and acts on our behalf and does something for our good, namely reconciliation, making us right with God, right with ourselves, and right with one another. For while we were still weak, at the right time, at the kairos moment, Christ died for the ungodly. It's important. Paul was not saying that there was something special about the first century, and that's why God showed up in that moment. Paul was not saying that there was something about the Kronos time that was unique in the first century. What Paul is saying is that because, uh, rather, it became the right time, it became a Kairos moment, precisely because God showed up. God showed up. God entered in. And when God shows up in Kronos time, you've got a Kairos moment. When God shows up in Kronos time, you've got a Kairos moment. Like my new friend, God was in that hotel lobby. God spoke through that woman a word that he desperately needed to hear, a word that changed his life. And so my encouragement today is to think about the discipline of noticing. It's to encourage us to practice the discipline of awareness that God is constantly, because of God's love and God's spirit, breaking into the chronos moments of our lives. And I want to offer a very imperfect analogy to this point, but I think it'll help us uh, capture some of what Paul was aiming at in this particular text. Uh, how many of you heard of Taylor Swift? Okay. Some of you know that Taylor Swift has just launched her tour, the Eras Tour, right? Now, show of hands. How many people are going when she comes, keep them up, when she comes to Mercedes-Benz? Just raise, don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. A few of you, I see you, I see you, that's okay. You'll like this, you'll like this uh, illustration. So for those that don't know, Swift has sold out some of the largest venues and stadiums in the country. AT&T Stadium in Dallas, um, SoFi Stadium in LA, Soldier Field in Chicago, just to name a few, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium here in Atlanta. Now imagine, okay, this is hypothetical, but just imagine this with me, all right? So she's on the Eras tour, right? You know that, you're aware of that, okay? And now it's a Tuesday evening, and you're running through Piedmont Park after work or just to get some exercise. And as you're running through Piedmont Park, you notice a makeshift stage, okay? It's not well-constructed. Uh, you, you stop your run, and you ask somebody nearby what's going on, and they tell you that it's an open act, open mic stage for anybody that wants to sign up, right? And there are not that many folks there except, as you might expect, the family members and friends of those who are coming to see their loved one who has signed up to perform, right? So all of a sudden, an act comes on. It's a woman, and she picks up a guitar. It's just her and her guitar and a microphone, and she starts to sing. And you're absolutely mesmerized. You've never heard a song written so beautifully. You've never heard a voice speak to you in such a way. Your, 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 your emotion is high. It's sort of a transcendent moment. It's like an out-of-body experience. You're in the middle of the park, and you're hearing this voice and this song, and you just can't believe it. It's come over you. It's changing you. It's doing something to you. And so you ask another person who's near you, and you say, who is that? And the person says, I think her name is Taylor Swift. Okay? And you're floored, right? Because you know Taylor Swift, right? You just didn't expect to see Taylor Swift in Piedmont Park, right? You know about her Eras tour. You know about how she sells out these massive stadiums, right? 
So what in the world, you wonder, is she doing here on this makeshift stage at 5.30 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon in Piedmont Park? As I said, it's an imperfect analogy or illustration. Taylor Swift is not God, just for the record. <laughs> but I'd like to connect the dots. And here's what, here's what I mean. Paul is saying that this God who plays on the grandest stage, who acts on the grandest stage, right? Universe upon universe upon universe upon universe. There's no bigger stage. Ad infinitum, right? This God shows up to play on a makeshift stage in Piedmont Park at 5.30 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon. God shows up in the ordinary. God shows up in the ordinary, in ordinary time, in chronos time. And the makeshift stage, of course, is analogous to our lives, to our time, the time that we have on this earth. That stage is chronos time. On this Palm Sunday, we're, we're, we're thinking about Jesus and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's a kairos moment. The people are fully aware that they're in the presence of someone great, maybe even in the presence of the Messiah, the Christ, who's come to save them. This Lord of heaven and earth rode a donkey into Jerusalem and the people were aware that they were experiencing this Kairos moment, a moment where God was breaking in to the ordinary, into their time. Of course, later on in the week, a day we call Good Friday, we'll, we'll bear witness to another Kairos moment, the crucifixion of Christ, the moment God abandoned God's very self as a demonstration of forgiveness and reconciliation for all who've abandoned God by nailing Christ to a cross. And so here's the message I, I wanna encourage us with today, all of us. I want you to know that God is still showing up on the makeshift stages of your life. Like God is still showing up in the ordinary places, in the chronos moments, and transforming them into kairos moments where we change we receive the help we need. We receive the word we need. We receive the encouragement that we need. We receive the discernment that we need. We receive the love that we need. That God is still showing up in Kronos time with Kairos moments. As we begin this Holy Week and invite you to be on the lookout for God these kairos moments. I invite you to practice the discipline of noticing, the discipline of awareness, even in the mundane of the chronos. Where is God showing up? Where is God breaking into the ordinary? So pay attention because God is showing up. God's showing up in your ordinary, in chronos time. God shows up in hotel lobbies. God shows up at 5.30 p.m. on a Tuesday evening in Piedmont Park. And God shows up even in the places that we don't expect God to show up and where we need God the most. Amen.